Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Daisy Cousins Presents. I'm Daisy Cousins, and I am thrilled to be here every week, twice a week, on ADH-TV. And on this show, I'll be presenting to you some of the world's most fascinating creative people. We love them not only for their unique views, but for their unique selves and interesting talents. And boy, do we have a fascinating show for you tonight. Make sure you tune in for the whole show to, to see someone who I know you Australians will recognize as a certain um, eminent guest, the likes of which you would not expect to appear on any show of mine. But first, we have a real treat lined up for you. One of the challenges of being a political commentator on YouTube especially is striking the balance between information and entertainment. As a YouTuber myself, I'd argue this is a harder balance to strike online than in the legacy media, given the sheer magnitude of choice YouTube viewers have when it comes to content and commentators. Everything from cooking videos to demonstrations of how to best mow your lawn, there's even a channel dedicated, it seems, almost solely to dropping things from great heights. We're in the middle of nowhere, we have a helicopter and boys! really. <laughs> it becomes harder again when you enter the YouTube political commentary sphere. Not only are you dealing with subject matter that can be very, very dry, you also must engage in the constant dance with the YouTube censorship overlords of what you can and can't say on the platform, or at least which coded language you can use to avoid automated algorithmic demonetization of your videos. It is the eternal struggle. Now joining me tonight is a marvelous gentleman who strikes that ever important balance between information and entertainment perfectly. His slick, sophisticated political commentary is without comparison on YouTube. He is a truly unique entity, not just for the standard of analysis in his videos, but for his suave, beguiling style. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure to present to you this evening the delightful, the debonair, Chris Coles, aka Mr. Reagan. Chris, it is so fantastic to see you. Thank you for coming on the show. And how are you this evening? Well, I was doing okay, but now I'm doing fantastic. That was one <laughs> hell of an introduction. And let me just say, I appreciate the lies. I will be sending you a check. And uh, look, I, I, don't, I don't know how entertaining I am, but I, I'll tell you this. You've given me an idea. I think I could start a whole YouTube channel. How high will a politician bounce if you drop them out of a helicopter? <laughs> I think this would be a fantastic show. I think we should try it. Yeah, look, why not? You know, as I, I demonstrated in that introduction, really, uh, anything sells on YouTube if you can sell it properly. That's absolutely for sure. Yeah, <laughs> 
Now, Chris, yeah, that's true. your screen name is <coughs> Mr. Reagan. I mean, you've always had that screen yeah. name as long as I've followed you. Why, why would you choose Mr. Reagan? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I kind of regret it now because I feel like everybody has, everybody's dropped the screen name thing, but it used to be very common. You know, uh, Carl, Carl Benjamin used to be Sargon of Akkad. Uh, uh, what's her name? Used to be uh, Red Pill Black or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, Candace Owens. Candace Owens. Hmm. I think she, her name used to be like Red Pill Black or something. Everybody used to have these names, and I went with Mr. Reagan because I just wanted everybody to know exactly what I stood for. Old 1980s style conservatism. It was a pretty simple, obvious name. I immediately had the name. I immediately had the logo. It was one of these epiphany moments. I thought, oh, this is kind of a cool brand. I'll do this. It worked. Everybody identifies me very quickly for what my channel is about, uh, but unfortunately, it stuck too well, and <laughs> now I can't get away from it. I, I Nobody knows my real name. I'm just mis Mr. Reagan on YouTube. Mr. Reagan's pretty good, though. As you say, it does qu yeah. very quickly define um, what you stand for, and I, I remember also when, when everyone was a screen name. I mean, I think, remember, Lauren Chen was roaming millennial for, for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 and now she's very much Lauren Chen. I was, I was always Daisy Cousins. I came in slightly later, but sometimes I, I sit and I think what my screen name might have been <laughs> if I'd started <laughs> earlier. I can think of a few, a few names, but look, um, I first became aware of you a couple of years ago uh, when you released what I thought was a completely brilliant YouTube video called The Brains Behind AOC, or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, our favorite Democratic Congresswoman. Great title, love that insinuation there. Um, currently, it has about three million views. And in this video, you asserted that AOC is effectively an actress who's being directed by far more powerful forces than she. Let's just play a little clip from this video. The brains behind Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mr. Reagan. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not really the congresswoman of New York's 14th congressional district. She is essentially an actress. She's merely playing the part of a New York Congresswoman. I know this sounds crazy, but bear with me. In 2017, a group called the Justice Democrats held auditions for potential congressional candidates that they would run on their platform for various congressional seats throughout the country. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's brother, Gabriel, submitted her for the role. Now, I remember seeing that video and I found it incredible. I thought, oh my gosh, who is this guy making this, this amazing content? What inspired you to make that video? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I had watched a lot of interviews with AOC because she was sort of the big new thing at the time. I found her really annoying and obnoxious and like <laughs> low IQ. And I thought, she's going to be the flash in the pan. Nobody's going to remember her in a couple of months. But I thought, man, why is she just, what, what is this resilience? Why does she keep getting interviews? Why do people still like her? So I'd have to watch these stupid interviews with her. And the weird thing about her was that although she couldn't answer certain very simple questions about politics, Occasionally, she would come out with some very specific, uh, you know, historical event or something, uh, you know, a historical person, a name, a date, uh, number, statistics, and she would get these things and she would reel them off um, as if she was some kind of a, a, you know, this brilliant expert on civil rights history or something like that. And I thought, okay, somebody's coaching her. Somebody's feeding her this information for interviews. There's somebody that's orchestrating all of this for her. And I thought, I want to look into it. I want to see who that is. 
CPAC was coming up. So I went to CPAC. I started asking around, and there was a senator there that I had. I started talking with. I don't remember who it was, if I'm perfectly honest. And he just pulled up on his phone an article about, uh, I forget the guy's name, but it was uh, AOC's main guy, her campaign manager, that ended up being uh, you know, an employee of hers for a long time. I remember reading that article and thinking, okay, I'm going to look up everything I can on this guy. And I watched every video I could find on him. I, I read every article I could find on him. And I found out about this Justice Democrats program that had brought AOC in as the sort of face of their group, as, as this congresswoman that would, that would then just, you know, she mm. didn't have any real say in what how she would vote or, or what legislation she would present. It was all them. That's how they had kind of structured this. And the really crazy thing is that they produced a video saying this. And at one point in the video, they said, yeah, you don't really, you know, none of this is really you. It's all us, right? I mean, you know, it's not that difficult because they're trying to recruit other people to come in and run for Congress. And they were basically trying to present it as it's not as difficult as you think because we got your back. We will provide you with everything you need in order to be this congressman. And AOC was like, yeah, totally. Like, I barely, I just really just don't do anything. You guys do everything. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is a an insane admission because even, because a lot of people have, have criticized this video and said, well, listen, lots of congressmen, you know, they have teams. They have people who kind of tell them what to do or what to say. They have writers and all this kind of stuff. Yes, but they really steer the ship. Most people, most politicians we expect them when we vote for them, we expect that we're voting for that person. That's the person whose brain, whose mind, whose history, whose life is going to go into, you know, voting the way they do and presenting whatever legislation they present. In the case of AOC, she was just a puppet for this group and she was kind of admitting to it. And I thought, wow, I mean, it makes so much sense now because her answers are so bizarrely dumb, yet very specific and intelligent. Like, this didn't make sense. This video that I created explained a lot of that, although I did get one thing wrong. I think I I, I gave up a little too much credit to Jank Uger of the Young Turks because mm. he had made all these videos previously saying, I created Justice Democrats. I did all of this. AOC is my person. I'm pr putting her out there. He was lying. His The, the Young Turks was really just the, uh, you know, just, just the, um, the media portion of, of the Justice Democrats, like they had teamed up essentially. But Justice Democrats was a creation of somebody called Zach Exley, which I explain in, in the follow-up video that didn't get half as many views. But <laughs> that little detail I've always regretted not getting quite right. That's all right. Look, we're, we're all allowed one mistake here and there, and it was a pretty minor mistake um, in the scheme of things, and it was it was still a, a phenomenal video. Um, and I remember at the time, okay. um, AOC, she was just the darling of the media, the, the darling of the progressive left. And it didn't matter um, what kind of ridiculous things she said. I mean, uh, she even said in an interview, as I'm sure you'll remember, um, oh, everyone's so concerned with getting everything precisely, absolutely, factually correct. They forget about being morally right. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're literally admitting that you don't know things. Um, the reaction to your video, despite her strange answers to things, was completely insane though, wasn't it? Because she was such a darling, I think. Buzzfeed was on your tail about her at one point. People were making all these sort of de debunking points. Uh, what was that like? Oh, yeah, that was wild. Yeah. The AOC actually <laughs> once said that the crime rate had gone up exclusively because 
single mothers were stealing bread from <laughs> grocery stores. That was, <laughs> she once said that, uh, I think it was zucchini is racist. Uh, yeah, AOC is a little bit of a, a little bit nutty. Oh, no, no, sorry. It wasn't zucchini. It was cauliflower. My mistake. Oh, cool. cauliflower. oh yes, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I got to get that, that detail right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. Even the attacks have been fun. Uh, I think Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks uh, called this a. I had a dot right here that was eventually removed by uh, by a dermatologist, but at the time it was very prominent, and she called it a beauty mark. So I think at the time I was like, oh, I guess that means we're dating Anna. Uh, no, no, yeah, the young, the young Turks, everybody, Buzzfeed, they made this huge. You know, I was fact checked, and the fact check was essentially that. Um, AOC is, uh, what was it? I call her an actress. Mm. And she was like, well, she doesn't do movies and TV, so she's not an actress. And I'm like, that's a metaphor. Like, the, the fact check was that my metaphor wasn't literally true. It was like <laughs> saying, if I called her a puppet, it was saying, well, no, AOC's not made out of wood and felt. And therefore, she's not actually a puppet. Well, yeah, no, I, we know that. That's, it's called a metaphor, BuzzFeed. It's called mm. a metaphor. Well, yes, that's the thing about, um, you know, the, the lefty media is that they're not great with metaphor either. They're not great with irony. They hate satire and they have no sense of humor, as we know. So they tend to take everything really literally, except when it suits them. And, for example, on the issue of yeah. gender, they, they don't take that literally by any stretch of the imagination. You know, quite the opposite. That's <laughs> no, OK. No. But no, 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 don't 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 make a, a, a very excellent metaphor because that that that'll get fact checked. It's just, it's just endless yeah. source of amusement for both of us, I know. Um, now look, I really want to have a chat to you speaking about your YouTube, com your wonderful YouTube content. Um, you recently made a YouTube video about some really interesting reporting that was done by conservative media outlet The Gateway Pundit, in which it appears they have uncovered hard evidence of possible voter fraud, I believe, in Michigan in the 2020 election. And of course, we've spent, you know, three years hearing from the Democrats and from the left, oh, there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. But the Gateway Pundit and you appear to have, have found that that might not be the case. Um, it's huge news. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, I found this story in the Gateway Pundit that had seemed to have been overlooked by just about everyone, and I couldn't believe it. I I thought, why isn't everybody reporting on this? This seems to be pretty smoking gun evidence, pretty hard evidence uh, of, of voter fraud in Michigan. And it's not just like a small amount of voter fraud. It looks like it's potentially 20 states in which this organization uh, operated. Uh, basically, the idea was it wasn't fake ballots. A lot of times people focus on the fake ballots. This was fake voter registrations. So they had thousands and thousands of these voter registrations that were dropped off uh, at this county clerk's office. The county clerk said, this looks suspicious. I'm going to call the police. And the police came in. They raided this organization's uh, offices and they found guns and burner phones and all, all kinds of like paraphernalia that you would expect to see. Uh, you know, in like, um, you know, like a drug cartel's offices. Uh, but this was, you know, voter registration, supposedly, right? And it's this organization's far left organization works with, uh, works with, uh, you know, Democrat uh, campaigns like Joe Biden. Joe Biden's giving them money, stuff like that. Uh, and they were registering fake, fake voters, fake voters getting, and that's one piece of the puzzle in getting legitimate ballots that you can then fill out the way you want and creating all this stuff. So 
you know, creating, creating, I, I, you know, I don't like to use certain terms because like that video, for instance, got demonetized. And mm, I'm like, of okay, I understand the theory behind demonetizing a video that you think spreads fake news or something. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. But in this particular case, this is not a, this is not some kind of wild conspiracy theory. This is a case in which they have hard evidence. Now, the, the problem is the case was turned over to the FBI and the FBI seems to have buried it. It's an ongoing investigation, quote unquote. The statute of limitations is quickly running out, and they're just letting it go. Um, Steve Bannon reported on this quite a bit, and uh, you know, if you want to watch those videos, they're on Rumble. Fantastic videos. But these, but this voter fraud, I, it's the the guy who runs the organization that committed this voter registration fraud in Michigan. Like I said, he operates 70 organizations, 7-0, in 20 states. Oh, wow. So, and this is just one guy. How many Democrat operatives like this uh, are, exist throughout the country? Probably several. Mm. And so we have this guy creating fake ballots, thousands and thousands of fake ballots in Michigan. How many fake ballots is he creating throughout the country and all the swing states and how many other guys are there like him it's it's very concerning i just i don't know why it's not being reported i'm trying to amplify this story really that that's why i made that video i don't know why it's so under the radar of everyone well, um, certainly your, your video has done a, a great job of amplifying it. I mean, I checked and last I counted, it had about, like over 100,000 views, which as you and I both know on YouTube as conservative commentators, it is really hard to get views on YouTube now as a conservative. Yeah, especially these days. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I remember you and I had a conversation a little while ago about, about, uh, about exactly this and how we said, if you look at our channel analytics, for instance, you can see the number of... Um, uh, people who are not subscribed to your videos who who see them and it's much much smaller than the people who are subscribed which is not normal so we're both on some sort of blacklist um, so it's fantastic yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that it's got that many views and it's it's interesting that you ask why is no one reporting on it I, I mean of course probably it's because there's an election cycle coming up and they really really don't want <laughs> Donald Trump to win and I, I'm sure you've seen the videos floating around of Democrats denying, uh, de you know, denying election results back in 2016. Uh, but then when Republicans do of it, of course, they get sent to jail. Tell me, Chris, why are Democrats allowed to question election results, but Republicans aren't? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I've been talking to some more left-wing uh, folks. I'm visiting my folks in Oregon and, you know, we're, I'm going to some barbecues here and there with a the family and visiting and meeting new people and stuff. And at one point, um, there's this guy that I I know, I've known him for years, uh, went to talk to him. He's a little bit, he's a conservative, but he doesn't like Trump. Mm. And I said to him, I said, look, um, you know that there's a lot of corruption, a lot of corrupt politicians, a lot of corrupt deep state players, you know, uh, permanent Washington, I think they call it, you know, people <laughs> that have been there forever. And there's a lot of these guys in there and you know, they're corrupt, you know, that they're, and when I say corrupt, I don't necessarily mean breaking the law, though that, that is obviously the, I suppose, textbook definition of corruption. What I mean when I say corrupt is just somebody who goes to Washington DC, who's supposed to be a public servant, but who's really in it to make themselves wealthy, to improve their own lives, to gain power themselves. That's not really in it for the improvement, the betterment of the average American. To me, that's the hallmark of a good politician. Somebody that comes in, it's very rare, but somebody that comes in and says, my priority is not my own wealth. 
It's the wealth of the country. It's the wealth of the average American citizen. And so when these guys come in and they, they've decided they're going to vote in ways or they're going to craft legislation in such a way that it improves their own life, right? Oh, let's help out this corporation and maybe I'll get some kickbacks or something like that, right? Mm. When they're doing that, that to me is corrupt. So you got all these corrupt people in Washington, D.C. Now, who do they hate? Who do they, they don't hate? seem to hate DeSantis. <laughs> no. They don't seem to hate Biden. I'll tell you who they seem to hate. They seem to hate Donald Trump. And so I, I always say to people, if you don't like Donald Trump, it's probably because you believe a lot of the mainstream narrative about Donald Trump. And the mainstream narrative is crafted by this, this the, the fact that they detest him, mm. right? The deep state detests him. The Democrats detest him. All these corrupt politicians, they detest Donald Trump. You've, you want to be on the side of the person that the deep state, the corrupt politicians detest. So if you want to convince somebody to stop hating Donald Trump or at least to question the most common narrative about Donald Trump, that he's this racist, misogynist, you know, horrible person, just get him to think about why would all these corrupt people hate Donald Trump so much? To me, that's, that's sort of like the basic reason why you should maybe like Donald Trump. Yes, exactly. It's it's always best to be on the side of not the establishment and and not the corrupt <laughs> people. In a r very good rule rule of thumb there. Now, I, I mean, as an yeah. outsider, as an Australian, um, I you know I've been a Trump fan for a long time. I've I've followed his political career, and the type of hatred that he gets is is sort of. Un it's completely unhinged. I mean, people will say stuff that is just blatantly untrue about him and about his supporters, um, especially because of these yeah. deep state actors. Um, can you elaborate for me on why these deep state actors hate him so much? What kind of a threat does he pose to their sort of dominion on, on American politics? Well, this is basically how I see Washington, D.C. working. And this is just my speculation. I'm not in it. I don't know anyone that's specifically that's compromised. I mean, we know for sure that Joe Biden is compromised. Oh, you yeah. know, he's got Hunter Biden. He's got, you know, uh, his kid loves more than Coca-Cola. Um, there's other <laughs> kinds of Coke that he's into. But, but uh, you know, okay, so he's taken bribes, all this bad stuff with, with Joe Biden. But here's the thing. I believe that a lot of people in Washington, D.C. are compromised you know, not only with the FBI, not only with the CIA, not only with China, not only with maybe Ukraine, somebody like that, but but even with each other, right? If you're in Washington, D.C. and you got dirt on somebody, you could then potentially use that to get them to do what you want. And so I think of it as like a big circle, like a domino effect, uh, mutually assured destruction, right? It's why they called the show House of Cards, mm -hmm. House of Cards, because if one of these politicians falls, maybe that, they all fall. And so they've all got to protect uh, Joe Biden, that's why they're desperately trying to protect Joe Biden from, you know, being indicted, being found out for all this stuff, because maybe he has some dirt on other people, maybe even Barack Obama. A lot of people are saying now Barack Obama has some unusual sexual preferences. Mm. Probably he doesn't want that stuff to come out. Maybe Joe Biden has that dirt. Maybe that's why Joe Biden was the vice president when he was. Who knows? Uh, but the reason I think they, they dislike Trump so much and he's such a threat is because Donald Trump is not part of their club. He's not somebody that they can control. Uh, I don't think that they, they can't bribe him, of course, because he's a billionaire. You mm. can't bribe a billionaire. That would be very difficult. Um, they, they, I don't think they've got dirt on him because Donald Trump has been famous since the 1980s. And I think even back then he figured out, oh, I've got to stay clean as a whistle because if I get a little bit of dirt on me, 
uh, they're going to use it in the press. So I think Donald Trump's been very careful. If he's done something untoward, I think he's been very careful to keep it quiet. Uh, you know, the only few things that they can find are like the Stormy Daniels thing, which to me is ridiculous, uh, and this complete lie about the Bergdorf Goodman dressing room, which oh, is gosh. obviously nonsense. Such, and then such this made-up stuff like January 6th, which was obviously not an insurrection, but they like to pretend it is and all this kind of thing. But they have to make up dirt because they don't have it. But that's why they are so desperate to get him, because they can't control him. Mm, I think that makes absolute perfect sense, uh, Chris. And it really, I mean, again, we've got we've got our issues with our politics in Australia, but we're 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 generally kind of chill politically. There's no real massive political ex like you know extreme discourse like that in the mainstream. So we look at America and think, oh my oh my God, you poor things. So <laughs> lot 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 of sympathy uh, from me to you having to cope with that on a day to day basis in your politics. And look on just on the subject again of of voter fraud. Um, I want to just examine the rhetoric that was used by the left um, about that in 2020. They very clearly said there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud, no evidence of widespread right. voter, voter fraud. But as you and I both know, the voter fraud doesn't actually need to be widespread in, in America. If you look at the 2020 election, it was actually won on a few tens of thousands of votes, wasn't it? About 43,000 votes across three states. So it doesn't have to be widespread. So this organization you're talking about in your video really could have swung the election, couldn't they? Well, that's right. You know, that's why this video was so important to me. Um, and I made another video recently, which I think is even more important, that really didn't do the numbers that this other video did. And I, I was quite disappointed. It was a bit of speculation. I made this maybe, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, uh, maybe a week and a half ago. And the idea was that I think I figured out what the Democrat plan is to try to steal the 2024 election. And I believe that it is to take Donald Trump off the ballot completely in the swing states. So in America, uh, in the 50 states, you know, you don't really need to get the majority so much as you need to get the swing states. There's always going to be a certain number of states that vote for the Republican. There's always going to be a certain number of states that vote for the Democrat. Those are kind of set in stone. You don't have to campaign much in those regions because mm. you know you're going to get uh, you're going to get the the and because we have the electoral process. You know, if you win a state, you usually win all the electors in that state. So they pretty much got it set for, you know, the blue states and the red states. It's the swing states that really matter, the purple states, the, the battlegrounds. And those are the states we care about the most. And what I figured out was, you know, Joe, the, they've been trying to go after Trump in a variety of ways. In every way they go after him, it seems that there's some kind of stipulation in the law or in the thing that they're accusing him of which says, if you're found guilty of this, or if, if you've involved yourself with this, then you're no longer allowed to run for public office. It seems like Democrats have really targeted Trump using that, that specific stuff, like anything mm. they can find that would disqualify him from running for office. And it's like, whoa, what a weird coincidence. Everything that you say Trump did wrong would disqualify him from running for public <laughs> office. So I, I, it, it occurred to me that that's what they're going after him for. But I thought, well, that that's a pretty intense thing because if they go after him for all these things i feel like they've got to take him to court and convict him of these things and that would be so obviously corrupt i'm not sure so i was a little skeptical of my own theory that they were trying to you know remove him from the ballot but now they are taking him to court and mm -hmm. i'm like okay so probably i am right about this 
Now they're going after Clarence Thomas, right? They're saying, oh, Clarence Thomas, you know, went on all these like vacations with his rich friends. That's somehow corrupt. I don't know. But they're going after Clarence Thomas. And it occurs to me that maybe they're going after the Supreme Court because they know if these convictions, which are probably, you know, going to happen in these lower courts because the Democrats are running these courts, if these convict, if Trump is convicted of some of these things, especially the January 6th stuff in Georgia, mm. then, you know, I'm assuming that the Supreme Court would come in and say, nah, this is obviously a BS conviction, overturn it, and that would be that. But I think if Democrats can say, oh, actually, the Supreme Court is corrupt, I think they can justify to their voters, or they at least think they can justify to their voters, still removing Trump from the ballots in the swing states. And so I looked up all the secretaries of state of the swing states because that's who we, we don't have like a national uh, list of folks that are on the ballots. Mm. That's a state by state thing. The states have to decide who's on the ballots in each state for yeah. the president presidency. So state by state, they can take Trump off the ballots and Democrats are pitching this idea. Let's take him off the ballot state by state. And the swing states are the most important thing. Secretaries of state in every swing state except Georgia is a Democrat, and the Georgia guy, it's called Brett Ra uh, Brad Raffensperger, and he's uh, he's already he's in this big kerfuffle with Trump already. So <laughs> I think Democrats, if they decide, okay, we're going to take Trump off the ballot in the swing states, and they tell their guys to do it, I think that happens. I think that Biden sort of automatically win wins in 2024. They've effectively stolen the election. I think that's their plan. It saddens me that that video didn't get more traction, but now a lot of other uh, other conservatives are coming to the same conclusion. So I mm. think that, that their strategy is getting out there and people are figuring it out. Um, I, I think it really, look, looking at the sequence of events, is an inescapable conclusion. I mean, if you, you know, and I, th I reckon this might have been the plan from 2020, like, you know, knowing that they, he was absolutely yeah. going to run for a second term um, if he didn't win. Hence the fact uh, with January 6th, that was so shady. As, as we know, Trump tried to get extra security for the Capitol. Nancy Pelosi refused. As we know, when the Trump supporters were you know, at, the, at the front door, the doors just magically opened for them. And those are really big doors. And I'm guessing they have to be opened like with a code. You can't just sort of, you know, rip them open. Um, and of course, we know anecdotally from a lot of the people that were there, they thought they were allowed in to the building when, of course, yeah. they weren't because the doors just magically opened for them. Um, do you think it is conspiratorial of me at all to suggest that maybe Nancy Pelosi, etc., had this kind of thing in mind the whole time? They were going to sort of try and charge Trump with inciting an insurrection, which would, I think, under the 14th Amendment would keep him off the ballot? Yeah, you're crazy. Nancy Pelosi is a good-hearted person. She's an angel. She would never do any such thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, look, <laughs> look. Uh, uh, this is, I think, how Democrat voters think. And, and, you know, this level of corruption, I think, is... There's this concept called the big lie. They keep saying that Trump saying the 2020 election was stolen. They keep calling that the big lie. Well, where did they get that, that concept, the big lie? Dinesh D'Souza actually brought this to my attention. This is a concept that comes from the Nazis. And the idea is if you tell a lie big enough, people will believe it because they'll think, well, nobody would make that up because it's too absurd to make up. So it could only, it could only be uh, claimed if it was actually true. So you mm. tell a lie that's big enough and, and, and people for some reason believe it. I have a theory that 
uh, over 50% of the American public are what we call in, uh, strongly gullible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and these are, are, are these become Democrat voters, right? Because Democrat Democrat politicians, they prey on the gullible. They prey on people who think, oh, you know, I want to help out black folks and I want to help out gay folks and I want to help out immigrants. Right. I have a good heart. I want to help out these people that are constantly being I'm told are victims, you know, that that the Republicans hate and are trying to hurt. And so I'm against the Republicans. I'm for the Democrats because Democrats want to help them. Well, Democrat politicians don't really want to help anybody. They want to stay in power. They want to make money. Hmm. This is I think this is how the Democrats operate. And like I said, I think a lot of them are corrupt. And so they're sort of trying to keep Trump out of office at all costs because, you know, once Trump's president, he has access to classified documents. He could potentially find incriminating evidence of a lot of these people in Washington, D.C. So I think they're terrified of them. But, yeah, no, I, I think that Democrat voters in particular, they have this idea that I know who's good and who's evil. Mm. So they're not necessarily looking at Donald Trump's actions. I mean, they are. This, you know, they're lied to. But they're, I think more so they're looking at Donald Trump's, what they think of is his soul. Yes. Right, And they're looking at Nancy Pelosi's soul and they're looking at Biden's soul and they're hearing what people have to say. And for some reason, they've accepted this idea that, well, maybe Joe Biden did take bribes, but he's got a good soul. <laughs> maybe Nancy Pelosi did, did uh, you know, you, you know, use insider trading to get rich in the stock market and abuse her powers, you know, the, uh, you know, in Congress to pass legislation for her cronies you know, that got her rich at the expense of the American people, but she's got a good soul. And maybe Donald Trump didn't, didn't do any, you know, hasn't committed any horrible crimes, but he's got an evil soul. And therefore <laughs> we're going to convict him because he can never be president again. No, I really think that this is how the Democrat mm. voters think, you know? And so if, if a Democrat politician says, oh, just trust us, you know, the, the ends are good. So the means don't have to be good. You know, the, the ends will justify these horrible means. Democrat voters go, okay, I mean, it seems a little bit corrupt, but all right, we hate Trump, so it's okay. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's completely delusional. Good, normal, rational people go, oh, you committed a crime, so that means you're probably a bad person. You didn't commit a crime. You didn't do anything horrible. Therefore, you're probably a good person. Democrat voters don't think like that. They think, oh, you you took uh, you took documents to your house? Well, you're Joe Biden, so it's fine. You took documents to your house? Oh, well, you're you know, you're uh, Donald Trump, and therefore we must put you in prison for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head there with Democrat voters, and I think it's the left in general. Like, they get they get so emotionally attached to their politics. There's such an emotional attachment to the not just the politics, but also the politicians. Um, that's why I think conservatives generally, we don't care if our politicians might be sort of, you know, abrasive or, or brash or anything like that. In fact, we kind of like that, because it means they're going to go in and fight for our interests. And also, I think because we like small government, we don't expect politicians to be hovering around us the whole time. Whereas if you're on the left and you like the idea of big government, well, you want your politicians hovering around you all the time. So I don't know, they get very obsessed <laughs> with the, oh, they must have a good soul and be a good person. I mean, it's it's juvenile, <laughs> but, you know, God bless them. Um, look, I have to ask you, Chris, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this corruption in the Democrats and their, you know, their... Fraud, you know, possibly fraudulent activities, their fear of Trump. This actually isn't the kind of behavior that you'd expect from people who think they can win fairly, is it? Oh, no. No, mm. they look, I think they figured out a long time ago that they don't have good policies. Yeah, that's that's a problem with Democrats now. They 
they figured out that we're going to use tricks to win. Mm. I, I think at one point I heard somebody say that the Democrats had figured out that it doesn't really matter what their positions are. It just matters how well you present them. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they really just focused on this idea so much that all their positions shifted to things that are completely crazy. I mean, they've shifted to a position that men should be able to compete in women's sports <laughs> if the guy just feels like a woman. And it's like, okay, you're the party of feminism. Feminism. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to support women. There used to be a debate like, should we even put money into women's sports? Like, you know, there's not a real, really a lot of money in professional women's sports. So if we invest a bunch of money in collegiate women's sports, is that just setting up these women for, a, you know, a, a life of, you know, athletics that's kind of point, like a dead end, right? Mm. There used to be a debate about that. Now it's like everybody's kind of on board with this idea. Like I'm from Oregon. Everybody does sports. My nieces all do sports. You know, all the girls here do sports. So most people are on board with this idea. Yeah, yeah, bringing up a tomboy, bringing up tough girls to play sports, probably a good thing, probably gives them some character. We're all kind of on board with that idea. Now Democrats turn around and go, oh, wait, 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 actually, actually, <laughs> we should get some guys in there to crush the skulls of the women. It's like, what are you even thinking? So Democrats will basically take any position. They don't care. All they their only goal is to just stay in power, to make money, and to be able to convince people things that are absurd. I want to do a whole series on, you know, climate change because mm. I mean, the climate change thing is they literally convince people. I did a, a video the other day uh, on on Newsmax, a, a bit on Newsmax, and they were talking about they now have climate psychiatrists, si climate psychotherapists that exist exclusively to try to treat people with these with this paranoia about climate change. Like people are like depressed and suicidal because they're so worried about the environment. Mm. And I'm like, here's how you fix that. Tell them the truth. <laughs> That's how you <laughs> fix it, you know? Exactly. You know, you know, there's no need for all these climate psychotherapists. If you just told people the truth that, no, we're actually probably going to be fine and not live on a boiling hot planet that's uninhabitable. You know, there's no need to uh, spread all this fear. I mean, I, th I think you're exactly right on that point. Um, now, Chris, you are completely fantastic. It has been absolutely wonderful having you on the show this evening. Um, before we go, please tell everyone where they can find you online. Well, just uh, go to Mr. Reagan. I don't post videos super, like, constantly. Uh, it's a little schizophrenic when I post videos. <laughs> I might post, like, 10 in a row or, like, one a week or one every three weeks. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, so I'm, you're not going to be bombarded with notifications. But, yeah, go to my YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Reagan USA. Fantastic. Chris Coles, a.k.a. Mr. Reagan, it was fantastic to chat up. Thank you for coming on Daisy Cousins Presents, and I do hope we see you again soon. I, you know what? I always love talking to you, Daisy. Thank you. Well, after that fascinating discussion of American politics and culture, it's time to turn to something local. My fellow Australians... Those of you who have followed my work over the last few years will know that I have never really had anything nice to say about former Liberal Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. I've called him a wet, 
I've said he stands for nothing, and I will always harbour a deep and festering resentment towards him for moulding the Australian Republic movement into something beyond a ragtag bunch of bourgeois Whitlamites who just can't let go of the past. Although, to be perfectly fair, that's really what they still are, so Malcolm can't even get that right. <laughs> However, I believe that the way to resolve political differences is deep and, and healthy discussion of the issues at hand, which is why I reached across the divide to extend somewhat of an olive branch to Mr Turnbull, asking him if he'd have the good grace to appear on Daisy Cousins Presents to just chat things out. And, to my very great surprise, the former PM accepted my invitation. The inevitable consequence of which is, of course, that I have joining me here this evening none other than Mr. Malcolm Turnbull himself. Sir, welcome to the program. How are you this evening? I'm very well indeed, Daisy, and uh, thank you for that introduction. Uh, I do know that you have been critical of me in the past, and yes, I can be called a wet and quite happily so. <laughs> Uh, there's so much dryness in the LMP. It's like a parched desert stretching out before you for eternity. Uh, and, <laughs> of course, a desert in which they've grown a potato as a leader. <laughs> but I'll say this to you, Daisy, I do have a soft spot for you because, of course, I have a Daisy myself. It's a lovely name. And you, like her, are an intelligent, articulate, uh, ambitious woman. And I... I appreciate the fact that you've invited me on your show. So good on you, cuz. Here we go. Let's let's have a Donnybrook. Let's have a Donnybrook, and I, I do so appreciate those lovely comments, Mr Turnbull. You do indeed have a daisy, and, mm. and to, to be mentioned in the same breath as her by her eminent father really has just tickled me pink, as you can see. Too kind. By my cardigan. Now, you mentioned, Mr Turnbull, some dryness in, in the Liberal Party, and, and certainly you must be in a bit of a conundrum now, given your uh, recent, or not so recent, tiff with them. So, please tell me, when it comes to election time, which party do you vote for? Well, it's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it, and I'll answer with directness and great alacrity. Listen, I've always been of the left, if you will, but uh, I'd like to have been the great Labor Prime Minister, but of course, they wanted to know too much about my fortune. So I decided to, to cross sides and uh, go over to the Liberal Party. I thought I can get a sale, uh, you know, Brendan Nelson or whoever stood in my way there, uh, became the member for Wentworth, of course, and became leader of the Liberal Parliamentary Party. And, uh, of course, when it comes to election day, um, what I do is I go into the ballot box mm. and I get the Green House of Representatives ballot paper and I draw a large cock and balls on it. <laughs> and uh, sometimes some words about uh, politics. And then I fold that up. And on election day 2016, you would have seen me come out of the election booth in Wentworth with a huge grin on my face, holding up that green paper because I knew what was on the other side of it. And I stuffed it into the ballot box, all oh, with, with joy. But um, when it comes to voting now, that's what I do. I, I'm strictly informal. I mean, you know, who are you going to vote for? Let's go through them, Daisy. You've got the Greens. Mm -hmm. It's a wasted vote. Mm -hmm. I mean, terrible people. 
to drive around in Subaru Foresters with stickers all over them. And don't hang up Tibetan prayer flags outside your rental in Newtown. It's very it just, uncouth. It looks shabby and no one knows what they mean. And I just want to say to the Greens, men and women alike, rubbing your genitals with a crystal isn't personal hygiene. Get a nice bar of Dove or, you know, some kind of lovely soap. Imperial leather is a favourite of mine. And clean yourself. The Labor Party, well, I, I wouldn't vote for them in a pink fit. <laughs> they're too centrist for me now. And the Liberal Party, well, they're over now. It's over. Uh, they lost Kooyong, Wentworth, North Sydney, Goldstein, Curtin. Uh, the list goes on to the Teals, to, to people named after a duck, a Teal Mallard. And all they do in Canberra is quack. Indeed they do, sir. That's some very um, astute political mm. observation and commentary. And certainly you have now given new meaning to the term donkey vote. Now, sir, uh, speaking mm, of mm, the Liberal mm, Party mm. again, um, there was an interesting rumour floating around a few years ago that I'm hoping you could provide me with some clarity on. Mm. Um, our former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, you know, love him or hate him, he, I'm sure you possibly fall in the latter camp. Um, he's always been an interesting chap. But there was a rumour floating around that at a, a certain um, Engadine McDonald's, he may or may not have defecated upon mm. his person. <laughs> what do you know about that rumour, sir? Well, uh, let's go back to the beginning of the question. When it comes to Scott Morrison, love him or hate him, you'd be mad not to hate him. Um, <laughs> Scott was never right for the job. Uh, I mean, you know, he swore himself into, into what, five portfolios. He was uh, all over the place. And I can confirm that in 1997, after the one and only Super League Grand Final, where the Sharks went down to the Broncos, a young Scott Morrison in 1997, some 27 years ago, uh, had had one too many Tui's drafts or what have you, whatever his poison was at the time, and uh, he was lining up for a quarter pounder meal deal and he defecated in his own trousers. He fouled himself in his chinos. He uh, went to Browntown. Now, that's what you had as a prime minister, a man that couldn't only not handle his own alcohol, but chose to perform a vile act in a family restaurant. <laughs> not good enough. Well, I think you make an excellent point there, sir. I mean, it, it can be difficult to control one's bowels, but then as, as an adult, you know, when it comes it. to sport, perhaps it's it's not such a big a deal that one would befoul oneself in public at a, as a, at a family restaurant. So I do agree with you there. Mm. Now, well, when it comes to the NRL, Daisy, he won't be the first and he certainly won't be the last. This is very true. You, you make an excellent and astute point, as, as, as always, Mr Turnbull. So many astute points you are certainly making. Stop it. <laughs> I feel like you're buttering me up for an old one too. I've sat opposite Lee Sales, and I mean, you're far superior than anything that the communist mouthpiece could throw at me, but well, I you. feel like there's a, uh, an uppercut coming my way. 
Well, perhaps you could tell me in terms of uppercuts, um, what, well, let's talk about um, Mr. Rupert Murdoch, Are for they? instance. Yes, now, you know, there, there, there are some would say, for example, that it, it's good to have right-wing opinion in the media, and that's part of a healthy democracy. I certainly um, would absolutely say that. Um, I'm not sure how you'd feel about that, but certainly you've expressed some chagrin over the years at, at Mr. Murdoch and his papers for having the sheer audacity to, to criticise you. Mm -hmm. uh, but now that that is sort of somewhat in the past, Mr Turnbull, do you think that there is any way that you and Rupert Murdoch could perhaps kiss and make up? Rupert and I uh, can see eye to eye on a number of issues. Mm. Uh, financial domination of the globe mm. and, um, you know, enjoying uh, fine times in a large mansion with a sea view. I think we've got some things in common. Uh, the animus between Rupert and I, of course, started way back when I was Kerry Packer's lawyer. When I represented Kerry at the Costigan Royal Commission and became very close with him until, of course, I burnt that bridge. And uh, as you know, I, I, well, Kerry and I had a great falling out. Mm. Our lives were threatened and uh, let's not go into that too much. But Rupert and I have never seen eye to eye. He was very critical of me as the Prime Minister of this country. Mm, he was. We stood in, on separate sides of the divide when it comes to climate change, global warming and the environment. And of course, I was the environment minister at one stage. But uh, Rupert's, Rupert's a marvel. I mean, uh, he's had so many organ transplants, uh, care of the teenage children of Falun Gong practitioners in mm. communist China, facilitated by Wendy Deng, that he looks as good now as he did 50 years ago, uh, supposedly. And uh, I wish him all the very best. Good luck with the new liver. Yes, good luck with the new liver, as as the saying goes. Mm. And he does he does look quite remarkable. I will agree with you for a, what is it a, a nonagenarian? Is 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 that correct term? I... He, <laughs> he does look like someone's nonna, actually. <laughs> That's not a bad way of describing. Wrinkly with him. a warm smile on his face. A very warm smile yeah. indeed. A very warm smile indeed. Now, Mr. Turnbull, I have to ask you. Uh, we have a, a referendum uh, coming up uh, later do in we? the year. We do, uh, <laughs> but believe it or not, we do. Uh, I'm sure you've never heard anything about it. Uh, to add what you, I guess, would call a new provision in the Constitution, mm -hmm. uh, do you have any, any, any words of wisdom on that? Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on your elocution. Well, thank you. And there will be some provisions, there'll be some exclusions and amendments to the Constitution. Well, when it comes to the voice, I would just like to maybe echo the thoughts of the great Whispering Jack. We're all someone's daughter. We're all someone's son. How can we look at each other down the barrel of the gun? Now, John Howard took care of that with the firearms controls of 1997. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to the voice, I'm definitely a yes, which will probably uh, spell victory for the no side. I'm so despised on both sides of politics that everyone would wish I'd just shut up and go away, but I won't, Daisy. Because as you can see, I, I am still holding my glasses mm -hmm. as if to say, I read, but my eyesight is poor. And I've read the question and I think that uh, a voice to the Parliament of Australia for the Indigenous people is a great uh, addition, uh, inclusion and amendment to the Constitution. 
Yes, well, I, I, I have to say, Mr. Turnbull, I mean, you've, you've achieved many things in your life, but I think one of your uh, greatest achievements is managing to make pretty much everybody despise you on, on both sides of the political aisle. That is not an easy feat to do by any stretch of the imagination, and I commend you uh, for, for doing that, most certainly. Now, this new provision in the, mm. in the Constitution, mm -hmm. um, you used to be uh, against said provision, didn't you? Tell me, what, what caused you to change your mind? Well, of course, I'm nothing if not a, uh, you know, a backflipper. <laughs> I, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like like uh, Mataz Corman used to say uh, about Bill Shorten or Tit Shorten, as I call him, uh, he vibble wobbles, vibble wobbles like a jelly on a plate. And um, yes, I can be charged with uh, hypocrisy. I did crush the Uluru statement from the heart and refused to push it through because as leader of the country, it's impossible to get a mandate or a quorum when it comes to these things. But sitting in the peanut gallery, throwing rotten tomatoes, it's easy days. Yeah, I can have whatever opinion I want. And today I've got a large Pomodoro in my hand and it's squishy and juicy and there's seed pouring out of it and I'm aiming it right at the no case. Well, I'm sure the no case is, is, is quivering in fear at your, your, <laughs> what, whatever seed is, is pouring out of that appendage you just described, My Mr. Pomodoro, Turnbull. not an appendage, something I'm holding, it's a tomato. Oh, that's what big, they're calling it nowadays. A big juicy tomato, <laughs> Oh, so juicy, I'm sure, Mr. Turnbull, the juiciest tomato, mm. in fact. Now, I've got right. to ask you one more question just before Please. we go. I, as you said, you're sort of a man at the left, and I think you've always fancied yourself just a little bit of a feminist. Just, just that's the impression I got mm. from you. Um, I'm certainly not a feminist, you know, I, I, I tend to dislike that modern victim movement. However, I do have to ask you a question. Do you believe that behind every great man is a great woman? I do. I, I, and I am a feminist. I, uh, I believe that, you know, when, you, when it comes to feminism, Daisy, I think that you should be given equal pay, uh, equal rights and amendments or, or you know, entitlements from your employer. It's as simple as that. Given equal pay for an equal day's work and equal opportunity. But in answer to your question, yes, I have got a great woman behind me. Lucy is my rock. Uh, I fell in love with her and, and her whole family. Her father, Tom, was a great guide for me, a great mentor. And uh, we've had some falling outs over the years too. Remember that Lucy was Lord Mayor of Sydney. She's a woman that can stand on her own two feet. She's got vision, she's, uh, she's forthright, uh, and she's strong too. Mm. I remember when, we, when I lost the leadership of uh, the Liberal Party and we decamped to New York City to take refuge in our massive apartment on oh, Central Park how there. How terrible for you. That must I have know. been so slumming hard. It. Slumming it, yes. Slumming it. I could, well, you can't say the harbour from Central Park. So, yeah, we had to put up with the toughness of the time. Anyway, I didn't realise that we were going to be papped. More fool me. And we went out in leisure wear. And uh, the shit really hit the fan, Lucy, because, uh, I mean, uh, Daisy, because Lucy had leisure wear on and you could see her moose knuckle from Fifth Avenue. And... Uh, I, I had to do some backpedalling and apologising. I mm. had to come home with a, <laughs> a massive pearl necklace and a bottle of Cristal to, uh, to smooth things over. But she's my rock and I love her and I, I love all women.
Mm. Apart from Michaela Cash. Well, that, that's all right. I think there are a lot of people who don't love Michaelia Cash either, and you're very much entitled Did to you your know opinion. Michaelia is, is part feline. I, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. She's got that cat-like look. Well, I've like, seen her bring up a furball. I see. In, in the parliamentary forecourt and just like, you know, the whole thing, choking it up, bring it up a furball. And one night we were working late in the uh, mm. the PMS or what it, what's it, it's called the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Yes, the PMS, sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was quite late. We were working on a white paper and uh, Michaelia put her leg in the air and licked her own <laughs> That's amazing. Wow, that, that, that's some ex extraordinary mm. uh, flexibility uh, demonstrated in the, in the parliamentary uh, forecourt. No, that was in, the, that was in the, the Department of Prime Minister. Oh, that was, of course, that was in the PMS, wasn't it? The yeah. furball, my mistake, was in the parliamentary forecourt. Thank Correct. you for that moment of clarity. Mr Turnbull, Mr Malcolm Turnbull, it has been a, a pleasure to have you here this evening to chat through our, our, our little issues. And who knows, maybe we will get together again and continue to hash out the, the big issues facing the world today. Daisy, always a pleasure. I am a big fan of yours. You're a wonderful broadcaster and interlocutor <laughs> and I will come back and, and uh, exchange views with you again. Good on you. Bye now. Bye now. Well, that's all we have time for tonight on Daisy Cousins Presents. How lucky were we to have both the slick, astute political commentary of Chris Coles and the eminent dignity and good humour of former Liberal Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Make sure you tune in next week for more of the world's most fascinating creative people. Good night, world. I'll see you soon.